0: I thought I would have you on because I figured, I didn't want to assume, but I figured on your coaching days, you weren't just going to like interview yourself about your transition. So I thought it was a good opportunity.
1: Yeah, it is. I I don't interview myself, but I do talk a lot, especially during silence. I just keep blabbing on. So I've um, shared a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. I mean, this was a decision that I made in March. It was something that I had planned to do within three to five years, you know, as of February, I was like, okay, I have my three to five year plan. And this is what that plan looks like. And then in March, I was with my daughter on spring break and it was the spontaneous trip we took to San Diego and I had taken some days off and the way my practice was set up, um, when you, you know, in private practice, when you take days off, you don't get paid for those days. And I had already kind of dialed stuff back just to kind of increase the amount of space available for the coaching activities, whether it was me coaching myself, uh, you know, me coaching other people, me receiving coaching, or me doing some education around coaching, it became a second full-time job. And uh, so I was there with her in San Diego and it was just so free. It was spontaneous. She's just flitting around. On Balboa, and the sun is shining on my face. And I just said to myself, I want to feel like this all the time. I just want to have this much space all the time. And that's how easy it was to make the decision. I told my husband, this is what I want to do. And we went through um, all these steps about you know financial um concerns because Southern California, you know, that's all I'll say about that. And then So we thought, well, will we save our house? Will we get a home equity line of credit? Will we do this? Will we do that? Because we don't have this tidy nest egg for me to just be like, well, I'm just not going to bring money in anymore for the family. And we worked through that together. And I just said, I have to do it. I just know it's the right thing. It's something in me, deep, deep, deep that I knew was the right thing. And I never, um, I never lost that. And I still haven't even through all of the rocky times when you feel um, like leading up to it, like, what am I doing? I'm inconveniencing people this, you know, who do I think I am? Like who goes, who goes through all this training and does all this stuff only just then to stop and blah, 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 blah. And so I was telling all these stories about it all along, but never lost sight of that it was a feeling. It was not, it was like thought, but it was something in my body that just like clicked into place. So anyway, fast forward to, um, last week, which was my, you know, I was done on the, um, 29th I was done on the 29th and all I did was I didn't quit. I just changed my relationship to it because I became an independent contractor I got an attorney. I build my own business. I have an S corp and a tax ID number for myself. I um, got solo malpractice insurance. So now I can just do what I want. When I want, I renegotiated with my group to come back on what I call radically part-time basis. Um, So I'll be there once a month, just taking care of some of the issues that are, um, for various reasons, I felt that, you know, I would be the best one to continue to do that. I have some patients that I've been kind of working on for years because in peds ortho, sometimes, you know, we have projects that are these multi-year reconstruction projects. And I think it's part of my ethic actually to finish that with some of these patients. It's like a relationship that you've built. And I, Um, anyway, that's a, that's a whole other discussion, but I'll be back radically part time with them. I have a whole new thing, like a whole new relationship negotiated with them. It was a really easy and very friendly parting. I think because of the way I handled everything, I gave them five months notice. I outlined all the ways in which it was mutually beneficial. Um, I did it all through, you know, an attorney and made it really tidy. And then, um, I've been practicing telling my patients for five months, okay, I'm going to be leaving. I'm changing my, I'm changing the way I'm available, blah, blah, blah. So I was practicing talking about it for five months with my patients and every single patient was just so happy for me. It was the opposite of what I expected. I thought people were going to gnash teeth and be pissed and they just weren't. It was so supportive, everything along the way was really, really supportive. Um, and then, and then it came and it was done. And so then this past week I have been a free agent and it's the best. (laughs) It's totally freaking awesome. And it's, it's also, let me just say this too. Um, like there are moments again, I still feel like it's the right decision, like 100%. I know it like in my bones, it's the right decision. And I have some other new opportunities coming up to do like per diem work for ortho, because as it turns out, I absolutely love orthopedics. I love it. In fact, I logged into our meeting on Friday morning. We have a zoom meeting where we do a pre-op post-op conference and in my relationship is different with it now. It's like a loving relationship with it, not a hateful, um, you know, dread, for all the garbage that comes along with certain practice patterns. Um, So anyway, I've got some things set up for per diem work, which will be really awesome. I think they'll give me the opportunity to stay kind of engaged and keep my skills and do the thing I love the most, which is fracture care. And, uh, and then that will be, you know, like four or five days a month. And then the rest of the time, I'll be working on becoming the best coach I can be, which is exciting, amazing. Yeah.
0: People who are here, rate, type in the chat box if you have questions for her, or you want to get coached. Would be would probably be awesome. Is if you want to get coached on your own, like quitting transition. We call it we don't even call it quitting. It's transition. It's it's pivoting.
1: It's like like I love the idea of our of the word relationship because we get so defined by relationships. We get defined by the relationship we have with ourselves, the relationship we have with our husband, the relationship we have with our job. And a relationship is dynamic. It does not have to be stagnant. And we can make up our own rules about it too. So I think for me, the idea around it was I know how to do this skill. So it's not something I quit. I just like, don't quit knowing how to do the skill, but my ability now is to be very flexible with the way I engage with it.
0: I think this is beautiful. It's so beautiful because I don't see many examples of surgeons doing it this way. Like you're either going to like, operate till you're 78 and they kick you know kick you out because you can't tie your shoelaces or which i don't see a lot of women do that Mm -hmm. or you lee you're so pissed you're so burnt out you burn it all down on the way out like i'm just thinking of like the stereotypical like how is how is transitioning modeled to us right and it's almost like this isn't modeled to us this way did you have any like mentors or people you looked at Or did you just trust yourself that you were going to figure out the best way for you?
1: Both. There was one person, and I won't say her name because she's not in this group and I don't want to, you know, I want to protect her privacy too, but she's an orthopedic surgeon, really well-trained, you know, fellowship, doing a really, you know, intense, stressful subspecialty in orthopedics. And I was doing... I started kind of like thinking about this a couple years ago because I was like, this, this can't be like, I've had five different practices. I was in the military. I was in a couple of different academic institutions. I was, um, in private practice. There was one other one I forget. So I, like I had exposure to these different ways, but they were all mainstream ways to do ortho, like accept it. I'm doing air quotes with my fingers, accepted ways to do the job. And I was looking at locums because I was like, oh, like this is a thing. People do locums. And I'm thinking, well, if I don't want to be stuck, maybe that's something I could do. If I don't want to be tied down to one practice, locums would be good. So I started doing all this research and I got invited to write an article about it for AAOS Now. And then I did some interviews with people who were doing locums and I really you know, it's different in my mind to be mentored by a woman versus mentored by a man. Um, because I feel like we've had to fight so hard to have our place in in the specialty in the first place. And then how dare I like fight my way out of it too. So I found this woman who um, is incredible and she was having some really similar thoughts and feelings about her relationship with her job and she had already done it she had pulled herself out she had just saved herself and she had a really cool situation where she worked a few days per month like strategically where she would go away and then during the week she had a company or has a company that she does all kinds of consulting for so like limited work during the week and she has her hours set something like 9 to 2 so that she is available for her children every single day you know um and i thought oh my god like this is a thing this is available so she for sure whether she knows it or not opened my eyes to this being available and just having somebody having done something like that told me it was acceptable and so from there i grew my own trust and it took another year after that for me to get that like ping that oh it's time.
0: Amazing. Um, yeah. So, tons of thoughts and feelings are coming up. I'm just think, imagining me when I do this, all my thoughts and feelings. What do you think the role of having understood coaching and the model was in this happening in your life?
2: Um,
1: it was pivotal. Um, I mean, I'm not the same person I was before I came to this work. And I don't know
2: how I would have arrived at somebody who um, is comfortable um, going against tradition, um, somebody who's not
1: afraid to speak up about it, somebody who will tell, you know, five or six male partners, you know. Bye. (laughs) Like it just, I wasn't that person. So, um, the person I was, was miserable and empty. I can't even say it was depressed. I probably was depressed, but it was like an emptiness that I had. It was like, there is nothing inside of me that is my own. I exist only to feed this child and go to work and take care of people. That's it. Like there was nothing deeper than that one inch surface. And um the this work what it has really done more than anything it has opened me up to who I am as a human being and then helped me to understand that who I am as a human being is worthy and has something to say. That there's like this um I'm going to probably start to sound a little bit like woo woo or cliché but we all have this thing that's inside of us. It's because we have this unique consciousness that's in this physical being and it's the special gift we have to give to ourselves and to the world and it's suppressed in a lot of people. And it was definitely suppressed in me. I didn't even know it was there. It didn't occur to me that it was there. And so this work I mean, over the last five or six years, that's what's completely opened me up to this idea that I have a life.
0: That's beautiful. For the new people who just logged on, um, I'm, I'm putting on my podcast interview hat to interview Jess today about her transition from private practice to Jess McMichael, MD, LLC. Um, <laughs> So raise your hand if you want to come on to be coached by us on this topic or not. If you guys did come here for some urgent coaching, I don't want to neglect you. <clears throat> Otherwise, type in the chat box questions you have for Jess. But I think that this story and the way she's seeing it and the way she's actively choosing it and doing it with such intention and grace is absolutely worth sharing the story and recording it for the room one people. Let's go a little bit deeper on the Anhedonia, if that's how we say it, I've been saying this word a lot these two weeks. Anhedonia, anhedonia. Yeah,
1: anhedonia, mm-hmm.
0: anhedonia. Let's talk about your an. Can we call it your anhedonia? Like, sure. Least, basically, by def- definition, lack of joy in life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And when people are there, they don't know that there's a different way of being. Can you? Can you just? And then I. Then we'll come back to the present moment. But like, what did you do? Was it was it intentional or were you like, I just got to try something different because it finally clicked that what was going on in your life wasn't going to be the long term plan?
1: Yeah. So the way I I know this now, which is kind of cool, I get like a ping that I know is right. I'll get I don't know where it comes from. It's probably energy. I don't know, but I'll get a ping and I'll be like, this is what we need to do next. This is the turn we need to take. So I have a very clear map of how this happened in my life. So the first part of it was um, in, I was at, in Albuquerque and I was working, I was on staff in that ortho department there. And I was laying in bed wishing I wouldn't wake up. I was just wishing that my daughter and I would float away and never come back because whatever it was, the life that I was living was so painful and so stifling and so fake that it I couldn't see a way out. So that was the first thing is like, I'm wishing to be dead and I'm wishing to take my kid with me. I never had plans. I never did anything like that, but it was um, a very strong desire to just evaporate. So that's number one. And then that was scary. And I was like, okay, this is not sustainable. So that's like ping number one. Okay. You wish you weren't here. You wish you were taking your daughter. This is not good. Do something. So I did. I started prioritizing certain things. I started trying to improve my physical body by changing what I ate, trying to lose some weight. Um, cause I, um, gained more weight than you're supposed to, I guess, during my pregnancy. And um, so I was just trying to kind of improve my physical being and how it felt. And then I prioritized my sleep. So I was just really making sure that I was getting better sleep. My husband stepped in and started taking care of our baby at night so I could get better sleep. And so that was all good. That was all, it all started to turn the ship a little bit. The next ping happened when I was sitting in our OR lounge. And I just had a meeting that was really insufferable and I, um, everybody else left and I was still sitting there and I'm like, what the fuck are we doing here?
2: How long like this, long
1: that? um, that was in 2015, oh. 2015, okay. like, um, summer of 2015. So this is really cool. I, so that's a, that's just like a switch that flips in your brain. What am I doing here? This place is not right for me. And I knew it like deeply. Um, so I jumped on the computer. I'm thinking, okay, where would we go? I'm from St. Louis. Pete's from Southern California. His dad's dying of cancer. Okay. We go to California. I jump on the computer. I locate the children's hospital that is near his parents, which is where I work currently or just you know got out of um i look up who who takes care of their ortho i call their med staff office they put me in touch with the the manager of our group i get on the phone with her she puts me on the phone with one of the partners this all happens within 20 minutes i'm on the phone with one of their partners 20 minutes after that i'm booking a, a ticket to go visit and interview Because it just so happened that whoever they were interviewing to fill their need had just bailed. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Like it had happened like in the previous two weeks that this other person bailed and took a different job. And then I came in just out of the blue, seemingly to them. So then I hang up the phone with him. I get on the phone with my husband and I said, Hey, do you want to move? He said, yeah. I said, where do you want to go? He said, I don't know. I said, we got to go to California. Your dad's dying. He goes, okay. Like literally it happened that fast. So of course we came out here for the interview. We loved it. It's amazing. Like Orange County is one of these shockingly amazing places to live. It's a bubble of unreality. Um, everything's beautiful all the time. The weather's amazing. Everything you look at is beautiful. Um, there's still, you know, it's not it's not like super shiny, but it's like as shiny as I think something can get in the United States. Um, so we loved it, and we we're like, "Yep, we're in." So that was, you know, September, and then I left. We moved in December. We moved to Orange County in December, and I started my job on um, January fourth or something of twenty sixteen. So everything's feeling better. You know, we're moving in the right direction, but there's still like this hole. There's still like life is tolerable now. I'm not wishing I was dead, but there's still a hole. And that part, I couldn't figure out. And by the way, I'd been in and out of therapy like five times throughout my life. So I was no stranger to therapy. And I was like, not interested. I just wasn't interested. I didn't think anybody would understand. And, um, so I was just not going to go that route. So anyway, I was commuting, and through I don't even remember how I got onto the Life Coach School, but I stumbled onto the podcast, the Life Coach School podcast, and I started listening to that. And um, that was on my commute, and I thought it was garbage. I thought it was bullshit, and I really hated Brooke's voice. There was something about it that was like nails on a chalkboard. Um but like, oddly, I just kept going back to it. It was weird. Like several times a week, I'd be like, well, I really hate this, but I just feel like I need to listen to it. And I thought it was just a bunch of bogus caca until I heard her talk about Byron Katie. And that then my little antenna went up because um, about, let's see, when I got home from Korea, I've had like these, my life's been punctuated by these times of really intense anxiety. And the previous time i had had like a really intense session of anxiety was when I came home from Korea. So that's 2010. And, um, I was just really struggling. I was struggling to function with this anxiety. I was, it was manifesting in a lot of like GI symptoms. I couldn't eat. I'd lost a whole bunch of weight. It was really unhealthy. Um, had a big workup trying to figure out, was there some kind of like organic problem. And of course there wasn't, it was all the mind body connection, but anyway, um, a chiropractor turned me on to no, an acupuncturist. Cause like when I go hard for answers, I go hard <laughs> like going in all these different directions. So I read that book, uh, one of Byron Katie's books, and it really resonated with me. It was like kind of that first inkling of learning how to ground myself. Um, and, and I really, really liked that why I didn't keep it up. I don't know. I guess that's what humans do. Um, but she started talking about Byron Katie and I'm like, Oh wait, then maybe she knows what she's talking about. And I then listened a little more intently. And then that went on for six months or so, maybe a year. And then there was another ping where it was the day that it clicked. And I was like, Oh, I mean, I remember where I was in my car on the freeway. Like I remember I was getting off the exit, driving north on I-5, and I was like, this is it. Like, this is the answer. This is, I have to teach this. I have to teach this to people. Um, And I signed up for coach training that night. And then the rest is history.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so... I have so many questions. I love this interview. So they talk a lot in, in our coaching world about the C, the C is neutral. Get happy before you change the C. Don't just if you just change your C being circumstance for people that are new here, don't just change your circumstance because you take you with you. And then you have the same problem in that job or that relationship or that blah, blah. So there's a lot about like, get happy first, before you change the C. In this case, right now you changed your C. Can you talk about, like, you got happy first? It seems like you were very okay with leaving before you left. You didn't just burn it down and, like, take take the old you with you. Can you talk about how you navigated this changing of the circumstance in, in the relationship to, like, the teachings of coaching?
1: Yes, and I have an opinion about changing the C, so I'll just share that first. Like, I think it's totally fine for anybody to change their C at any time. There's no rule against that. And that's what I did when we left Albuquerque to come here. I hadn't done any thought work. I was just like, this is an emergency. We need to get the fuck out of here. Um, so I don't think that there's a problem with changing your C. I I just think people need to be prepared for stuff not to be completely better. If you change your seat, just like we got here. And there were some things that were certainly physically better, but the internal hole was still there. So just to point that out. So the difference now is, is that I've been doing thought work for years
2: now, several years. And it has been this slow build of
1: an identity, of a self-concept, of an existence that is all my own. And that didn't happen overnight. I mean, it took hours and hours of coaching and I don't journal, so I don't want to make it seem like I'm just like, you know, at a writing desk with a hot cup of tea, just pouring my thoughts and feelings out of a book because I don't do that. But I think constantly, like exhausting amounts of thinking and analyzing. And I talk a lot. That's That's how I do my thought downloads. It's just verbal. So sometimes I just talk to myself. Actually, most of the time, I just talk to myself. Sometimes I'll talk into my phone. I'll just talk into a voice note.
2: But it was a slow build of a self-concept that I'm a human who has some intrinsic worth. That was the hole that had to be filled up. So I'm not sure how to give you
1: more concrete detail than that, other than I worked at it every day and really like in the beginning, you just want everything to be better. And so I think there's this natural process where once you learn the model and you're like, oh, I'm responsible for this, like, okay, then all I have to do is really just change my thoughts and then I'll feel better. And that's a really superficial layer to using the model. But the real magic is, is looking at the thoughts that you have, learning how to do that without judgment, and then looking what is in the subconscious or unconscious. I think people use those terms both, but like, what are the beliefs that are like in your operating system? You're not even aware of that are driving it. And that, <clears throat> that came, I think when I did Kara's class, I was really starting to uncover some unconscious beliefs I had when I did, um, the advanced coach training for feminist coaching because yeah, that was a fun transition
0: to, to be with you on. Yeah. Because I well, remember, I remember being like surprised you signed up for it because I think my feeling was like, I was way more of in that feminist thing than you. And I'm like, huh, I wonder why she's, you know, doing this. And then at the end of it, you're like, turns out I'm a feminist.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's like the, cause everything was unconscious. That's so true. it's not in your awareness, right? If it's in the unconscious or subconscious, it's, it's not in your immediate awareness. And so I was living, you know, in a male dominated subspecialty like judging other people for like, why can't you just like shut up and just toe the party line? It will be so much easier
2: if you just like made yourself small so that this is easier.
1: Like that's what I did.
0: But it's, it's, it, was your, it was your survival mechanism.
1: It was totally my survival mechanism. And the way I navigated it, I mean, started when I was a child that that particular advantage that I had was to people please and to just, I could read a room. I knew exactly what people wanted to hear. And it was, um, dare I say, manipulative because I just could pull strings with people based on how I showed up. But that made my residency experience, I think, Survivable, tolerable, less traumatic than other people who didn't have that survival mechanism or person. Since there was only other one woman, but (laughs) um, but anyway, I didn't really realize some of these beliefs were even there until I took that class. And um, I took that class so I could understand my clients better because what they were presenting me with, I didn't like. It wasn't connecting for me. I'm like, wait, something's. Off. It's, I think this is a me problem, not a them problem. So that's why I did that class. And then all of a sudden I had all these it it was just such a high-level exposure to um, conditioning. That's where I really, really started to learn about conditioning and how we have all been conditioned by the history, by the what we experienced in utero, by the very first moments of our lives, and then every moment. Since then, we've been swimming in a soup that just gets absorbed into the human
2: form that contributes to how you think, and but it's not visible.
1: And so, I don't know, that was the thing, I think, is just uncovering my hidden beliefs that were really, really keeping me back.
0: What if you didn't leave this job? What if you just didn't leave this job? What, what? And maybe that's just a foreign concept, and it's a weird question for you. But where I'm coming from is, so many surgeons and physicians don't leave. Yeah, they stay and they stay and they stay and they stay until illness, a death, disability, or maybe nothing tragic happens. Maybe they just stay and they just hate hate what they're hate the system yeah that makes sense is like my question for you is like what would or is that like the way you set this up it was an impossibility of course you're gonna leave yeah what, what What if you didn't do all this work i guess is what i'm saying what would Jess look like five years from now if you hadn't done this work and you stayed is that, is that fair
1: uh, yeah is that- it's I mean, like, like a sliding doors questions? question what's that it's a sliding doors question it's like yeah. what if we never left albuquerque What if I never acted on that ping I got to be like, what am I doing here?
2: We got to go. Because. um, Yeah, I don't know if I'd be alive, to be quite honest with you. Like I, I would have hit a breaking point of some kind and it would not have been pretty. Maybe we'd be divorced. Maybe, um, you know, I don't know,
1: maybe I would be on medication. Maybe I would be not that that's bad. Like these alternatives are not, this isn't like a good or bad thing. It's like, what, what for any person, any individual could be the most expanded version of your life. And I would be living in the most contracted version of my life and it, I would be miserable.
0: Yeah. And just in in like the trauma work that you've done that I've read of like when the body says no, right. Like, yeah. What if you just kept the lie up because who are you to, to live your own life when you got trained to do this amazing surgery and shouldn't you just do that all the time in a system that you didn't create? Like people do that. Mm-hmm. And I think they just don't see that there's other sliding doors.
1: Well, yeah. Not only do they not see it, but it's also so much easier to stay comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. Cause you don't have to change anything. Ah.
2: Yeah.
0: You can just be mad at the system. You can. Or you can, it's
2: not risky. It's not risky to just
1: be mad and uncomfortable it's not risky. Well, it's risky to your human person, but it's not risky to anything else outside of you.
2: Right.
0: When did you realize that you had one life and you were in control of it? Like, do you, do you, did you have like a moment? Was it a high for you or was it like a slow evolution of like, I'm the puppet and the puppet master?
2: Um, It's been
1: a slow evolution. And this is kind of more of a spiritual question for me because I, um, have been kind of evolving my whole concept of what life actually is, and, you know, cause I am like obsessed with physics right now, but it's there. Let me explain it this way. Before I got really in, entrenched in this work, when we had first come to California, uh, I was watching a Neil deGrasse Tyson documentary about the cosmos and I was like in tears at how insignificant I felt. And um, it, it was really depressing. And it was really like feeding this idea that I was worthless and like, what's the point sort of thing because of the infinitesimal existence of a human, a single human being in the grand scheme of the universe. And I was like, oh, I just felt like garbage. Fast forward to now, my whole concept of the importance of an individual, and this is what I believe for everybody, for you, for all of my clients, for my patients, for their parents, I have such an expanded view of what the importance of these human beings is
2: because of the infinitesimal Odds that any one of us would be here having this experience because we are infinite. We're just infinite. Energy kind of in this physical
1: body. We're infinite beings having this physical experience at this time. Like that idea now seems so special to me for myself and for everybody around me. And now I forgot the question you asked because I just like waxed poetic for a second about this spiritual awakening. Oh, so that
2: concept has evolved over time. And I think that that is like at the heart of
1: the my new the way I relate to the world. It's and by the way, trauma it, trauma happens when when an event or series of events or something happens to somebody and it changes the way they relate to themselves in the world. This is like anti trauma because it has changed the way I relate to the world in such a different
2: way, in such a more expansive way, in such a more um like I don't know, I just. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe ask your question again because I went off on a tangent. That
0: was perfect. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm going to shift a little bit into talking about loving yourself because I think you really model being your best mommy. As um, what is? Her? I was literally Esther. About you. Thank you. Esther.
1: Yeah. Was it uh, no Edith? Edith Edgar.
0: Edith Edgar says, "Be your yeah. best. Be your best mommy, mummy," um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you really model loving yourself and like, I'm going to take a bath. I'm going to play with my puppies. Like you really model that. And can you talk about the role of you developing that in helping you through this process?
2: Um, sure. So that came, there were two things that kind of shifted my, um, relationship again to taking
1: care of myself one was reading the book how to quit like a woman which I mean I I didn't quit drinking altogether like you did but I drastically cut back um and something that she talked about was just so smart was having a list at your fingertips of 10 things that you can do to take care of yourself in any given moment so that you don't even have to think about it. It's just like an automatic you, you whip out the list and this is what you do. So it's more of like an action line thing. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to have a feeling. You just whip out your list and do the thing. So I was like, that's brilliant. Okay. What are my things that would be on that list? It was just like identifying the things that really felt good to me and good to my body and not like good in a um, superficial way, but like really good and um, nurturing. Like things that helped me feel restored and recovered. And one for me is Epsom salts baths. And now I know kind of the science behind the Epsom salts baths is that magnesium is absorbed through the skin is a really powerful muscle relaxer. Some people who do like aura work and stuff like that say that you can clean your aura best if you're submerged in water, which is kind of funny. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm into that or am I? But anyway, um like I think there are some reasons why that that feels really good to me to be submerged in warm water.
0: I'm just like stay tuned for the 2023 room one retreat where we submerge each other in water. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So I love that. And I take a bath probably five times a week. I've been doing that consistently and it really makes a difference. Um, I prioritize my sleep and the only times when I wasn't able to do that was when I was on call, but the rest of the time, I mean, that time is like guarded, guarded. Um, so I have like a ritual I do around going to sleep to make sure I get good sleep, um, more magnesium, that's the main thing, making sure that the environment that I'm in is really comfortable and good for me. Um, So that was, that was the first thing there was just like figuring out, okay, what feels good to me? Like, what are the things that I can have at my fingertips that are really nurturing to me? And then I developed this concept of, well, you just pay yourself first. And I just made it my own personal rule. It was just a decision. I was like, I'm just going to pay myself first. So no matter what, each day I pay myself first. And um, then in Kara's class, again, just understanding how I
2: was basically conditioned to not prioritize myself. Then I realized that wasn't me that did that. And it gave me permission to be like, oh, oh,
1: okay. That was all passive. like that I don't,
2: I don't have to accept that anymore. So that was really it.
0: How did you, how did you, and you said you, the people were super supportive of you doing this transition, but like, did you have to deal with other people's teas on this?
2: Um, were you able to just
0: tease? Like, how did you, cause I'm just thinking of the average surgeon who's thinking of doing something big like this. Everybody's trying to tell them what they should do or they how they should do it or that they shouldn't do it. Or did you just like try to not listen to anybody?
1: So here's the thing that helped me. This sounds really morose, but I thought, you know what? If I died today, they would all have to just pick up the pieces and keep moving. This practice will keep going. I'm not that important And that was a really helpful thought for me because no matter than what they came up with, I knew it was bullshit. And it just turned out that nobody really did that. I had one senior partner kind of like, I think he was trying to lay a guilt trip, but here's the thing that I've learned through coaching too, is that people are always in their own model. And as we know, your model always reflects back to your own thought, which you're making mean about you. So I practice that all the time. It's such a fun way to live when you're just like engaging with somebody and you can giggle internally about what their model might be. I just feel like I I have this um, seat to the court, like watching a tennis match where I'm like, I'm the judge and I'm up higher and I'm able to see this playing field so differently. It's so fun. And so yeah, they had their thoughts. And my senior partner tried to kind of like lay a guilt trip on me and I just smiled at him and I'm like,
2: yeah. And
0: what can you say what he said?
2: I don't remember exactly, but he was basically
1: implying that, you know, he was really sad to see me go. And he was being really kind of like simultaneously effusive about me and my skills, but at the same time, like kind of guilt tripping me about you know, how his hopes he had had for me bringing me into the group as if I was somehow letting him down. I don't remember the exact words. And
2: I was like, this has been such a great chapter of my life. Period. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to control women
0: is give them all that. Mm
2: -hmm. Number
0: one other people could have had the spot if you didn't take it. Yeah. Like, like there's a scarcity mindset I see. And then that of like, but you're such a good surgeon and you could totally be, you could totally be the head boss one day like mm-hmm. that of like trying to get you to live somebody else's. It's not about you. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it helped too, that, you know, ever since I started
1: ever since I got certified really, which I, my certification ended right when COVID was starting, which was such a lucky time for me because, um, I suddenly had more physical time to work on, you know, creating a business and coaching. I coached hundreds and hundreds of people for free that year, because I was just really trying to, I was trying to do my own residency
2: in it. And, um, all of that, like I immediately started talking about it at work to everybody.
1: Not to try to get them to be my client or something, but just to be like, I have the secret. This is the secret. I want to tell everybody about the secret. Like this is the key that will unlock everything for you. And I was just excited and wanting to share it with as many people as possible. Um, so they all knew that. Like I was normalizing the the conversation around this since then. So it was, I don't think a huge surprise to them, you know? Very interesting. Yeah.
0: I I think for me and my journey on that is like, people have been telling me that I'm going to quit, quit or back off. People have been telling me that before it was ever my plan. Because they see what I'm doing and they're like, you can't keep doing urology hundred percent. You're getting too big hmm you're gonna need to you're gonna need to cut back you're gonna that's gonna become more important than this and like they're all saying like don't forget us don't leave us behind like this is what they're all telling me when I'm kind of like mm-hmm. hadn't considered hadn't even considered it but it's like I'm actually like evolving into what they already saw yeah is that is that possible
2: absolutely yeah. I mean, for the, I think for the most part, when we engage with other people,
1: they're just mirroring back to us. They're mirroring back some truth that we need to hear in, in some degree, right? Like there's either a projection that's happening or a mirroring.
0: Oh, yeah. That's beautiful.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, like I had the opposite where I
1: started dialing back before, because I was tired of hustling. Like I just decided I'm not going to hustle. I don't like it. I don't, it doesn't feel good to me and I'm just not going to do it. So I started dialing back my clinical hours a long time ago. And, um, I had heard other coaches talk about how they, you know, made sure that their business was at a certain level that they could replace their income before they, before they stopped their job. And a lot of doctors do that. And it's like, uh, I'm not going to, do that 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 sounds terrible it just sounds terrible to me I'm not I'm not gonna hustle I just don't want to
0: I think that's really important for the surgeons here to hear is like you don't have to take the hustle into whatever like if you want to leave the hundred percent clinical practice you don't have to like go hustle over here now you like you can decide to like not do that yeah you don't have to replace it like so many so many things on the internet are like physicians need a side gig. Build that up before they quit, blah, blah, blah. Like we're really kind of fed that of like take this hustle and put it over here. Just don't build Medicare for it, right? Right. (laughs) But it's uh, just, it's just not necessary. It's totally made up.
1: It's totally made up. And it and it create actually, it's a really interesting point you made. I hadn't thought about that, but I was just thinking about hustling in my coaching business before getting getting myself like disentangled from my private practice. But Yeah. I mean, I remember hearing Brig Johnson talk about, she's a nurse anesthetist and she's a life coach school coach and she's really, really successful, but she talked about how she would work a full week and then she would like coach for like 10 hours a day
2: on the weekend. And I'm like, no, no way. Yeah.
0: That's when you change your circumstance, but not your teeth. (laughs) <laughs> um, okay, so final question for people, because I'm like, I don't want anybody to think that room one just wants everybody to quit medicine. And I don't absolutely think, I don't not. I think we're saying that. like I hope people understand this is your journey. We have so much wisdom and like there are so many pearls that you gave us today. It's amazing. But like where what would you say to either a, the resident who's halfway through? And they're, they, they, you know, they don't see an end. in like, cause I was there, I was like a third year resident, fourth year resident, I had a six year program. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? But I'm so glad I finished it because of what it allowed me to create. Right. Yeah. So, like, what would you say to the residents right now? And, and what would you say to like the other people who like, don't see that quitting's an option. They've got $400,000 in debt maybe, you know, nobody else for money. What would you say to these people who are seeing, like, what, what can they take away from your story?
2: I think um, the primary underlying thing is who you are, like really cultivate who you are.
1: I always think about it. I don't know if this is right or not, but I think about us as three kind of beings within one. We've got our today self, the right now self. We've got our inner child, which is the yesterday self. And then we've got our expanded self, which is the tomorrow self. And all of these forms of energy are living inside of us at all times, but we spend so much of our time trapped in the yesterday self.
2: And I think the primary, the most fundamental value of coaching is trying
1: to be led by your expanded self. Like really understanding that that person exists, that, that you have this unlimited potential. You have specialness that just goes beyond anybody's wildest imagination. And if you really invest in cultivating that, then it doesn't matter where you are you could be a third year surg- uh, surgical resident you could be entrenched in a job you could be loving your job it does not matter where you are because if you learn how to live your life from the point
2: of view of your expanded self then you're like teflon like nothing it, you
1: just you learn how to navigate the ups and downs of life with so much flexibility
2: that you could be in any situation, in any circumstance, and not be stuck. Yep. That's fantastic. Thank you for this hour. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you were game to do it. I'm like, yeah. this is a special edition of <laughs> Room One Coaching, the Jessica. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll get this up for everybody to to watch and it, this is pure gold and I really appreciate everybody being here today.
1: Me too. Thank you guys. Awesome. Talk All right. You. Have a good one.